Greetings, all you 99 percenters. This is your host, Dr. Jack Rasmus. This is Alternative Visions. Okay, a whole number of things to talk about. Uh, so kind of a potpourri here of events, political and economic, of the past week, and some predictions on my part. Okay, one of the more interesting things that you're not hearing or reading or seeing at all in the mainstream media is what I would call the Danny Trejo affair. You know Danny Trejo, that actor, plays the villains. You know, he's, he's a great character actor, right? Well, he just spilled the beans on Zelensky. Yeah. What? What's the beans? Well, <laughs> it appears that Zelensky and his government have this policy for some time now of inviting high-visibility celebrities from the West, actors and so forth, to come to Kiev and do a photo op with Z, shake his hand, whatever, show that there's, well, U.S. popular support for his war. And he pays them. Z pays these actors, you know, Danny Trejo in this case, but before him, Sean Penn and all these others. You've seen him on TV, right? These photo ops on the mainstream media where they show up and shake hands and they express their support, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he pays them $100,000. Well, that's the contract they agreed to. It looks like Danny, Danny Trejo had a contract of $100,000 proposed by Zelensky to come shake hands, do a photo op. However, Danny backed out and he revealed that uh, Zelensky says, no, no, the contract says $100,000, but really what we want you to do, we want to pay you $150,000 and you kick back the other 50,000 difference to Zelensky, the government, in cash. Ah, uh, no laundry, see? No, no trail. So in other words, what Zelensky is doing is he's giving all these celebrities, most of them from Hollywood, you know, traipsing into uh, Kiev. He's giving them 150,000, and they give him 50,000 cash back. Well, Danny, you, you know, Smell the rat here, obviously. That, that, that shit's going to come to, that shit's going to float to the top at some point. And he's smart enough and his lawyer's smart enough to know that he refused it. And then he went public with it. Another smart move by him. So it's been exposed that Zelensky, you know, he's got this grift going on here. He gives 100000 gets gets uh, 50000 back personally, you see, personally. Well, where does the 100000 or 150 actually come from? Well, it's part of this aid that's being sent to Ukraine. You know, we're dumping money into Ukraine like, a, you know, it's, uh, we, we got it to waste. We look. What are we what are we what are we sending to Ukraine? Well, we're sending them all these arms, right? All the weapons and so forth. Well, that money doesn't go to Kiev. That money goes from the U.S. Treasury into the accounts of the military-industrial complex, you know, the Raytheons, Lockheeds, and all those guys. And then they send the hardware to Ukraine. But 
there's other monies that are flowing into Ukraine. Part of the bailout that we've been giving Ukraine, over $100 billion so far. You know, about three, four months ago, it was $113 billion, so it's probably about at least $150 billion now. U.S. government is giving, and Congress is giving Ukraine. They want to give them another $61 billion here in this, this proposal of $106 billion by Biden that's being fought out now in Congress. So over $200 billion here. Uh, well, listen to this. We give Ukraine a billion dollars a month just to pay their government employees to keep the government afloat a billion a month. Yeah, you know, for all the parliamentary people and all the bureaucrats and so forth. And not only for their wages, we're paying their pensions. A billion dollars a month. Well, I bet you that's where Zelensky is skimming off the top to get the funds to pay all these actors coming in. And then he keeps personally 50000 He probably divvies a little bit up to his immediate staff, you know. And the guy's a multimillionaire. Well, that's the Trejo affair, right? And when you see all these Hollywood actors going in, uh, you, they're not going in because they just want to support Ukraine. No, no, no. They're going in for the 50K. <laughs> Right? And I wonder how many of these politicians are in the same grift. Uh, you know, maybe not the, those at the very top, like Austin, you know, and uh, Blinken and so forth, right? And Burns from CIA. But, you know, how many of these Europeans going in and out, right, that aren't top-level government officials? I mean, it's so corrupt. It's total corruption, and of course that place is total corruption. It's always been corruption. You know, maybe this is where you know the Pentagon can't find two trillion dollars account for two trillion dollars. You know, over the last twenty years, when all these wars the U.S. has been in, you know, we've thrown all this money at all these countries. Yeah, and uh, the Pentagon. Can't account. You see, audits are done every year at the Pentagon, and every year, well, well, we're two trillion short. <laughs> well, I bet you some of that is carried in suitcases to people like uh, Zelensky and his friends. Yeah, and you know, two hundred billion dollars, and we got a deficit of one and a half trillion. A budget deficit, one and a half trillion. And Biden wants to spend more. Look, when you say Biden wants, no, no, neocons want. Biden's just a marionette here. They pull his string and he says what they want. He doesn't say it very well. But, he, you know, this guy isn't making the damn decisions. He never made the damn decisions. Senator from Delaware? Come on. If you're from Delaware, you're in the pocket of the bankers. Because that's where the banks are headquartered, believe it or not. Why? Because of tax reasons. Delaware, Senator from Delaware. You think it, anything notable about Delaware? I mean, even Rhode Island is more notable than Delaware. What they got? A bunch of dairy cows and banks. That's what they got in Delaware. And guys like Joe Biden. Do you know who the other senator is from Delaware? You ever hear of him do anything? No. 
I don't even know who the guy is. Well, safe. They're safe, you know. They're big bankers, safe. Presidents, senators. Right. Well, you know, there's one and a half trillion dollars. We're going to see some big cuts coming. Prepare. I mean, cuts in social program spending, not in war spending. No, social programs they're going to go after. Biden already brags then debt ceiling deal last June that he agreed to a trillion dollars in program cuts, a trillion. And we still got one and a half trillion dollar deficit, even with that so-called trillion dollar cut. They got a big problem. Fiscal policy is running amok. Fiscal policy meaning defense spending, war spending, over a trillion dollars a year in war spending. We're boosting the Pentagon by $84 billion more in its budget. That budget just keeps going up and up by 50, 60 billion every year. And by the way, that doesn't count these war costs, you see. War costs is a separate budget item on top of the Pentagon called OCO, Overseas Contingent Operations. That's sort of flexible, ad hoc spending that they pass. They don't take it out of the Pentagon anywhere else when they go to these wars. No, they give them extra money. Well, OCO Ukraine, $200 billion. Oh, how much OCO Israel here coming up? Already, what, $30 billion? I think it's initially they gave Israel $17 billion. Now in this bill that uh, has been proposed, Biden's $106 billion for the three wars, right, for Ukraine, $61 billion, <clears throat> about 20 20, 30, 20 billion, 14 billion more here immediately released uh, for Israel. Israel doesn't even ask for it. The U.S. Congress gives it to Israel. I'm talking about Israel, APAC, which is, you know, that's an acronym, AIPAC, Arab Israeli uh, Political Action Committee, notorious, notorious lobby for Israel in the U.S owns, owns a majority U.S. Congress. They brag about it. They say it publicly. Yeah. It announced it's going to spend $100 million on the election targeting anybody who criticizes Israel. And by the way, if you say anything about Israel's genocide going on there in Gaza, oh, that's anti-Semitism. You're against Jews. You're against Jews. You know, they want you to think that criticism of Zionist policies is a criticism of Israel, is a criticism of Jews everywhere. You see how that works? Yeah. You, you, you don't dare say anything about the genocide, the Zionist policies in Palestine without being accused of being anti-Semitic and then, you know, the ceiling comes down on you. Like some of these actors, you know, Susan Sarandon and others in Hollywood, you know, they dared say, oh, genocide, oh, anti-Semitic. No work. You got no work, Susan. We even got your agent to drop you. Uh, this is going on quietly everywhere. And it was terrorize, intimidate anybody who says anything. 
that remotely reflects criticism of Zionism. You see, Zionism is a, is a political ideology. Yeah, a political ideology. It's not, it's not even the Israeli government. A lot of the government, you know, a lot of people in Israel are against this, uh, but they're powerless because the government is Zionist. The government is totally in the pocket of Netanyahu, and Zionism is land grabbing. That's what Zionism is. Grab land, somebody else's land. It's a land-grabbing, white, settler, colonial ideology. Not unlike Hitler's Lebensraum, you know. Oh, we got to move east, Hitler says. we got to get that land, you know, in, in western Russia and turn it into a big agricultural and uh, mineral uh, source for our empire. Lebensraum, move east. Yeah. Well, it's just like... Zionism, you know, take the West Bank from the river to the sea, Jordan, Jordan, the river to the sea. That's all ours. We're going to take it one way or another. Land grabbing, colonial settlerism. And that's been the policy you know, for the right wing there that's in the government ever since in Israel. Zionism, it's not as even anti-Israeli. It certainly isn't anti-Jew. But they want you to think they're all conflated, you see. And if you say one, boy, they're going to come down on you. And they're going to get their pro-Israel Americans to pull the plug on you. Because with these people, you know, I mean, Israel's more important than America. I mean, just think of it. $100 million, the APAC, the Israel lobby is going to use to target anybody running for office in the next election that is not pro-Israel, that says anything about the word genocide, the G word, you know, genocide, don't dare say that. Anything about the G word here, well, you're going to lose your job or you're not going to get your loans. It's because, you know, they got a lot of influence in the banking system in this country. Talk to facts. You know, a lot of influence in Hollywood. Talk to facts. APAC has a lot of influence. They're going to spend $100 million targeting anybody they do dares criticize the Zionist policies and the genocide. Now, think about it. If Russia had a lobby in the U.S. and it announced it's going to spend $100 million to target politicians running for what do you think would happen? <laughs> I mean, something far more flimsy uh, was raised, you know, with the Russian influence. They were influencing, you know, back in 2016, they were influencing our, 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 our politics, right? By uh, <clears throat> having outlets, uh, communication outlets, uh, uh, supporting Trump. Oh, big flap over that, right? No evidence of any money being spent. Here's, you know, here's APAC saying we're going to spend $100 million, and that's a beginner for beginnings. I, I, you know, I, think about it. The U.S. Congress is owned. Uh, look, Netanyahu's bragged publicly. I own Congress, he said. And, of course, he does. He has, he's not saying that right now, you know, but in the past he said that. I know how to manipulate them to get what I want. Yeah, sure. 
No. He doesn't even ask for the money. We give a blank check, right? Yeah. Okay. Think about that. $100 million is American democracy corrupted or what? And this cancel campaign that Israel has that's flowing through the mainstream media in the U.S., even Elon Musk had to capitulate. <laughs> a billionaire, one of the richest guys in the U.S., right? On Twitter, he says something, you know, sort of indirectly about genocide going on. Whoa, you can't do that, Elon. And then all of a sudden, Elon starts losing all his advertisers. Yeah, losing all, you know, pulling the money out. And Elon starts worrying. He said, gee, you know, you can just imagine what he's thinking. You know, oh, I don't care, care that much for these advertisers. He even said that, right? But, you know, what about my SpaceX and Tesla? Uh, I need money from time to time. I need to borrow money uh, to uh, expand and be competitive and so forth. And if I've, uh, gee, you know, uh, they, they're not going to give me the loans I need for my next ac acquisition. Oh, I better go and clean this up. So, you know, he treks to Tel Aviv, you know, sits down with Netanyahu. They have a photo op conversation. And uh, Elon says, uh, oh, yeah, well, I agree with you. We got to kill all the Hamas. Well, there he is on bended knee. A guy like Elon Musk, billionaire, shows you the power of that lobby in U.S. society, politics, and culture. There was a good book written, I think, six or seven years ago by a couple, couple uh, uh, professors at Yale. I forgot the name of it, but it was a good book. I read it quickly, uh, but pretty much uh, described the power of the lobby, APEC lobby. You know, check it out. Uh, maybe next time I'll, I'll recall. I gave the book away to a friend, so I, I don't uh, don't remember it, right? Okay, so Elon Musk, you know, it's okay to level Gaza and kill more kids. You know, as I saw about two days ago, 16,000 have been slaughtered in Gaza. That's only in the north half, 16,000, over 5,000 kids, babies and so forth. And then, you know, when the war erupts in October, Biden... Biden, the marionette, goes over there, and uh, he just mimics the propaganda, right? He said, oh, yeah, no ceasefire. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, Hamas is beheading babies. No evidence of that. It came out later that, that uh, uh, this CNN reporter was told that by a soldier, and then she ran it all the way up uh, in CNN ran the story of beheaded babies and uh, then they had to retract it the next day, say, no, that wasn't true, you know. Well, you know, Biden goes and spouts that nonsense, says, oh, we're totally behind Israel. It's okay to level Gaza. We're with you, Israel. You know, we're not for a ceasefire anyway, except now 
that he's backtracking, right? And he's keeping his mouth shut because every time he opens it, he says something stupid. And he's letting Blinken do the legwork over there. I mean, talk about stupid. You know, this recent uh, uh, meeting with Chinese President Xi in San Francisco, right? He meets with Xi. He doesn't get anything out of out of the deal except G agreeing, well, they'll see what they can do about exporting chemicals from China for making fentanyl in Mexico. We'll see what we can do. That's all he gets out of it. But the dummy, when the thing is over, he goes in front of the cameras, dummy Biden, and he says, oh, she's a dictator. I mean, it's so incompetent. The leadership of this country now can't even maintain their empire. They're so incompetent. And they say stupid things you know, that they don't have to say. That only makes things worse. So Biden's keeping his mouth shut now. And Blinken's running around to all the Arab states, you know, the Saudis and so forth, and the Egyptians, and uh, pleading with them, you know, don't attack Israel. Of course, they don't want to attack Israel. They're not going to attack Israel. And the U.S. sends two aircraft carrier task force forces. Why? Does Israel need, need 190 U.S. attack planes and all the other task force with all, all the other missiles and so forth that accompanies the aircraft carriers. Does Israel need that to level Gaza? No. Well, what the hell are they there for? Iran. They've been trying to get Iran to do something. Iran's not taking the bait. So I just heard that the U.S. moved one of the aircraft, uh, task, aircraft carrier task forces to the Strait of Hormuz, just outside the Strait of Hormuz, sort of uh, daring the Iranians, do something, do something. Because face it, the neocons in this country want a war with Iran. That's their, their, their next perpetual war. Yeah. Once they get out of uh, Ukraine, they're going to have to have another war keep the military-industrial complex going, keep that Pentagon budget rising. I mean, they're not ready yet to go to war with China. Oh, what folly that would be. I mean, it would violate all the principles of war that have been documented and written since Clausewitz, you know, the 18th century German, German uh, theoretician, military theoretician von Clausewitz. What What's the number one principle of war, according to Clausewitz? Concentration of forces. That's the number one principle. And we see that in Ukraine, why the Ukrainians are losing. We can see that in Ukraine. It's simple. Principles of war. I've been writing about this since this war uh, erupted. You know, and I've been saying that Ukraine can't win. There's just no way they can win. They can't concentrate enough forces. Maybe at the beginning they had a little advantage there. But that advantage has disappeared. There's sort of a consensus on reports uh, that Ukraine has lost about 300,000 men in arms. 300,000 killed 
in less than two years. 300,000. Think about it. I mean, it boggles your mind. That is a slaughterhouse going on out there. You know, the Russians have lost maybe 30 to 50,000. 300,000. I mean, it's, it's, it's killing fields. It's slaughter. And how much do they have left in terms of men on the ground, Ukraine? About 300,000 left is the estimation. How many do the Russians have? Uh, consensus is about 400,000. With another 420 coming, being trained in depth, being trained here for the last six months and will go to Ukraine. And they're all volunteers, by the way. They're not draftees, former reservists and so forth, being uh, you know remobilized. And they're going to go to Ukraine here, 420,000, added to the 400,000 there. You know, maybe they'll rotate some out. You know, the Russians will have six, 700,000 in the field, and the Ukrainians barely have three. And the quality of Ukrainian men in arms is declined because their best forces have been decimated already. They're so desperate that they just announced, Zelensky just announced, they're going to draft, draft. Kids as young as 17 and as old as 70. A new drafts, 17 to 70, including women. There's already women in arms. They're finding women in the trenches killed, you know, the Russians, uh, who are beginning uh, to push back the Ukrainians all along the front there. Yeah, I mean, you don't get any of that in, in the news. But the Ukrainian offensive of last June uh, uh, completely failed uh, all across the area. Now the Russians are pushing them back in big battles around uh, cities like uh, Andreevka and Kupyansk and even, uh, you know, Klishevka and, and Bakhmut and so forth, they're being pushed back. And it's clear, it's clear that uh, they've run, they, the Ukrainians, have run out of men. You know, you hear a lot about the weapons that the West has promised them. The, the West can't even provide them with artillery shells. Yeah, Ukrainians during the offensive were using five to seven thousand artillery shells a day, a day, and now they're conserving them because they're running out of them and they're using. Maybe three thousand, twenty-eight thousand a month. They're using three five. And it's not going to strip the the cabinet bare. No, I mean, it's not going to disarm itself by sending everything. Neither will the Europeans. The Europeans produce about 4,000 4, a day. You know, the U.S. had to go to South Korea and borrow 500,000. Well, the Russians went to North Korea and borrowed a million. And the Russians are simply outproducing weapons and now outproducing manpower, Ukraine. And that was that was the case, going to be the case from the very beginning. 
You see? From the very beginning, anybody who looked at the war would have to conclude Russia just doesn't, I mean, uh, Ukraine just, just can't match Russia in population, in, in military, and so forth. Weapons, you know, it's lines of logistics and supply. Supply lines reach all the way back to Europe and the U.S. You know, it's a violation of principles of war to have that long a line of supply. And then, of course, the supply, it didn't produce the supply of arms. and It totally depended on outsiders and the politics in their countries. Whereas the Russians have totally internal supply lines and internal communication lines. That's a principle of war, concentration, supply lines, reserves. Having sufficient reserves is critical. Well, they run out of reserves and the Russians are building an army of one and a half million here by the end of the year. I mean, you could predict all this and I'm sure a lot of generals did but the politicians are so stupid. Look, most of our wars here during the age of late empire in the U.S. are precipitated by the so-called civilian experts, these NSA uh, advisors and so forth under president, the neocons, you know, the Virginian Victoria Newlands and the Blinkens and the Sullivans. This is just the latest generation of these people, you know, used to be the Wolfowitzes and uh, so forth there at the beginning of the 21st century. But, you know, they, 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 they always create more, right? So concentration of forces, reserves, lines of supply and so forth. I mean, th these are all indications that they could never win this war. So why, why did the U.S. provoke this war? And it did. I talked about that before. I've written about it on my blog, you know, 10 reasons why the U.S. wants Russia to invade. And I wrote that in January of 22, a month before the war erupted, and followed it up with another article on, well, let's look at 10 reasons here a year later, earlier this spring. Check it out on my blog, jackrasmus.com. Or you can pick it up on Counterpunch or, or uh, L.A. Progressive, et cetera, which also published uh, these things, right? I, I mean, Russia has 10 to 1 artillery advantage. Um, in September and October, uh, Russia wiped out the Ukraine Air Force. I'm not sure how they did it, except uh, they brought in some new technology and long-range missiles, and uh, these Russian uh, aircraft with these long-range missiles sit over Russia. They're not even in Ukraine. And as uh, soon as the Ukrainian uh, Su-31s and 20, 29s, MiG-29s took off, well, pfft, there goes the missiles, and it picks them off. And they can't fly anymore. They have no air support anymore, the Ukrainian army, because every time they go up, they get picked off. So there's 10 to 1 artillery advantage when the Ukrainians can actually get the ammunition, they're conserving it, uh, and uh, then there's no air force, right? Uh, drones, Russia is flooding the area with drones now. Big advantage in, in drones. Um, 
tanks. What about tanks? You know, you get this big deal about, oh, we're going to give these weapons here that, that's going to change the game. We, we're going we're gonna to bring uh, uh, German uh, leopard tanks and uh, British Challenger tanks, supposed to be, you know, weapons, far better tanks than Russia. Russia's got 1,500 tanks <laughs> committed uh, to uh, Ukraine. Oh, and then we're going to send them these ATACMS, that's an acronym, A-T-A-C-M-S, missiles, long-range missiles, and HIMARS missiles. And uh, But they're not sending very many because they don't have very many. The West, the EU, U.S., I'm talking about, you know, they don't have very many. You know, they send 20, 30 tanks, you know, here and there. The Germans do. And they're scraping the bottom of that barrel. You know, uh, Ukraine has wasted uh, the leopard tanks, and uh, Germany says, well, well, we'll send you some more. Um, let's see, where are we going to get them? Uh, well, I think Switzerland has some of the old leopards. And, uh, yeah, they're not that good, but we'll refurbish them. And uh, well, there's 50 leopards there that the Swiss are going to give us, and they're refurbishing them now. They're going to throw those into the pot over there. Uh, the Brits aren't sending any more tanks because they don't have that many. I mean, Britain is a paper tiger if there ever was one. Yeah, reported there's only 40,000 combat troops in all of Britain's armies now, 40,000. I mean, there was one division, maybe two. That's it, you know? Uh, well, maybe they could defend Oxford or Cambridge, but I don't think they can and won't send any. And they haven't sent any more arms, the Brits or the French. You know, they sent them some of these cruise missiles. They're gone, used up. So if you look at it militarily, uh, Ukraine is doomed. Oh, Zelensky better... Uh, Better uh, invite more Hollywood actors and uh, you know get more fifty thousand dollar kickbacks here because he's going to need it when he leaves, and he will leave. They will get rid of Zelensky one way or another. There's a big feud going on between Zelensky, his supporters, and the head of the general, this guy Zeluzhny. Big feud going on. Zelensky's trying to get rid of him trying to blame Zeluzny for the failed offensive this summer. Uh, but zeluzhny has got too much support of other generals in the army. He can't get rid of them. And Zeluzhny can't get rid of Zelensky yet, although Zelensky's kind of worried. You say Zelensky says, oh, I fear there's going to be another coup here. Uh, Maidan 3, Maidan is, is the uh, plaza there in Kiev where this big coup and demonstrations were occurring in 2014 when they overthrew the government there. Victoria Newland used uh, fascist thugs, paid him $5 billion, bragged about it publicly having done so, to overthrow the government there in Kiev. So... Uh, there's this big, big feud going on between the two. Which way is it going to go? One, they can't get rid of each other yet. Uh, but I, I predict Zeluzhny is going to come out on top in this. 
And I don't know how true this is, but the rumor now is that Zeluzhny is talking to the Russians about some sort of a deal. You see, from the very beginning, all Russia really wanted was a neutral Ukraine. They didn't want Ukraine to join NATO. And they were willing, initially, the Russians, uh, to agree to allow these two provinces, the heavily Russian populated civilian pop, uh, uh, provinces uh, called uh, uh, Donetsk and uh, Luhansk in the northeast, far northeast of Ukraine, uh, to be autonomous, but still be in Ukraine. This was before Russia annexed these provinces and the other two provinces involved here, uh, Zaporozhye and uh, Kherson, right? I mean, once it was clear uh, that uh, Ukraine wasn't going to agree because the U.S. and the EU would not let it agree to any, any uh, negotiated settlement of the war, uh, then Russia annexed these these provinces. But if you go back to March and April 22, you know, within a couple months of the start of the war in February 22, if you go back then, um, negotiations did occur between Russia and Ukraine. And there was an agreement. There was an agreement. Russia's terms was don't join NATO, guarantee, and these two provinces, which were being shelled by Ukrainian army terribly, tens of thousands were being killed by their own army in those provinces, um, they could stay in Ukraine under a, a new arrangement in which they would be relatively autonomous. They wouldn't be in Russia, right? They would be in Ukraine. Ukraine state would maintain its, its uh, status, but... Um, they would have some independence, and you guys wouldn't join NATO. That was the terms, and Ukraine negotiators agreed to it. But then Boris Johnson, then Prime Minister of Britain, on behalf of the U.S. and NATO, I'm sure, flies into Kiev at the last minute when this deal is being hammered out and convinces Zelensky, no, no, we're going to defeat Russia. Do not agree to this. We're going to throw them out. They actually thought they could defeat Russia. They, they had a kind of a, a, a false confidence because when Russia initially invaded in February, you know, it, it came down from the north and encircled, almost encircled Kiev. Remember that? Yeah. It didn't attack Kiev. And then it pulled out. Well, it, it's come out that it pulled out of Kiev area as under request of the Ukrainians in these negotiations that were going on, by the way, in Istanbul in March and April. Kiev said, uh, show us a, a good, uh, good faith, uh, you know, pull back from, uh, from Kiev. And the Russians did that as an act of good faith. And then Boris comes in and says, no, fight. And then the Ukrainians went on the offensive because at that time they had an advantage in the concentration of forces. They had an advantage. Their army at about 400,000 was bigger 
than the Russian invasion force of only 190,000. And that 190,000 were distributed over thousands of miles from Kiev all the way to Kharkov in the northeast, all the way into the Donbass and all the way down to Crimea. I mean, that was not a force that could anyway conquer land. Yeah, they 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 took Zaporozhye to connect Crimea with the the Donbass, but that you know, there was never any risk to Ukraine as a state, an entity, from that initial what the Russians called special military operation SMO. It was an intimidation attack to get the Ukrainians to the bargaining table, and it worked. They got them to the table. They thought they had a deal. U.S. and NATO, Boris, jump in, say, no, fight, fight to the end to the last Ukrainian. <laughs> and we'll give you all you need, all your weapons, all the money you need, you know, because we think Russia is so weak socially, politically, and militarily, economically, that it will crash. They really believe this. The neocons, you know, they got all these fantasies. They really believe that Sanctions would cripple the Russian economy, that Putin was, uh, had very little support, and once that happened, the oligarchs would turn on him and depose him. That's what they thought. That was their strategy. Just put more pressure on him. Of course, it didn't work. Sanctions didn't work. Russia's economy got stronger. They sold even more oil revenue than they did before because the sanctions drove up the cost of crude oil globally. And of course, the Russians, that's the, one of their main sources of revenue. So they really uh, made a lot of money off of that sanction. Yeah, they were driven out of Europe, but they sold more of their stuff elsewhere. Look, I really think that the number one objective of the U.S. in provoking this war, number one objective, many objectives, but number one was to tie Europe to the U.S. permanently, economically and politically. Secondarily, it was, uh, okay, maybe we'll get NATO into Ukraine. Um, maybe Russia will, you know, become so weak it will sue for peace talks on our terms, you know. I think number one objective was Europe, Western Europe. Because look, NATO was falling apart under Trump. It was falling apart. Now it's been united and expanded even into Scandinavia, and the U.S. is in the driver's seat along with a group of these smaller countries that have been added that gives the U.S. a majority control of NATO now. I'm talking about East Europeans, the Baltics, and so forth, you know. Uh, their fear of Russia and everything, they'll go along with the U.S., especially the U.S., promises them all kind of military aid and support. They can buy a lot of F-16s, you know, just join NATO. And of course they did. And the U.S. has manipulated that majority of small countries to control NATO. Well, Biden has totally succeeded in restoring NATO and U.S. hegemony in NATO. That's a big gain. And he's also succeeded also succeeded tremendously 
In economic terms, uh, they've driven Russia out of Western Europe economy on all levels, not just energy, you know, but in finance and banking and manufacturing and trade. I mean, Russia has been pushed out. And who's come into the vacuum but American companies? Yeah, that's what's come into the vacuum. Europe is dependent now on the U.S. as never before for trade and economic and support and so forth. I mean, Europe, Europe is at the end of its historical role. You know, it's, it's going to be an appendage of the U.S. I mean, just look at the economy over there. <clears throat> Germany's in recession. France just, latest statistics out, is in recession. recession. The U.K. says it's stagnant. That's bull. It's in recession. I mean, all of Europe is in trouble. They can't compete with the U.S. The big U European companies are, country, companies are moving to the U.S., and the U.S. is passing tax laws and everything to lure them to the U.S. And the Europeans are fretting over this, and there's not a damn thing they can do. Europe's going to become an economic satrapy of the United States. And, of course, NATO is the politics, the political arm now of Europe. Big mistake. Europeans made a big mistake creating the European Union and the European Commission, which sits over it, and NATO, which sits over that. The U.S. has won geopolitically big time, but in Europe, not in Ukraine. They can lose Ukraine, which they're going to do, and still have that big victory over Western Europe. And of course, you know, Russia has decided uh, we've had it with the West. The hell with you guys. You know, you're always coming after us, you know, from the 12th century German Teutonic Knights invading Russia. Well, that failed. You know, and then you get attacks uh, uh, of the West on uh, Peter the Great there in Russia. What is that, 18th century? Something like that. Uh, and then you get... Uh, Napoleonic Wars, right? Napoleon, I mean, uh, Napoleon <laughs> invades invades uh, Russia too. And then you get the British and the French trying to take Crimea in the 1860s. And then you get the Nazis in the 1940s. I mean, what a history. How much is it going to take for the Russians to learn that the West does not want Russia in Europe? And in fact, it wants part of Russia, if it can get it. So Russia's turning east, you know, forming these alliances with China. The BRICS, that's an acronym, B-R-I-C-S, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, initial kind of a, a, a trade um, economic alliance between those countries, now expanding to 11 or 12 countries, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, UAE, Egypt, who knows what other countries here. By the way, you know, look at the expansion. What are these countries? These are petroleum-producing countries. I think Nigeria's joining now. I mean, that, that ought to raise some, some eyebrows, right, petroleum, because the BRICS are going to soon come out within six months or less with their own currency, 
And that currency will be based partly on oil and a basket of other currencies, certainly the yuan, the Chinese currency, you know, will be part of that. And by the way, Brazil's part of that. Now Brazil has joined big powerhouse economy in South America. Argentina was going to join, but now you got this libertarian clown, Millet, who, who's taken over, who's just going to devastate Argentina. Uh, so that's off, you know. That's not going to happen. Uh, Argentina's not going to join, at least not right now. But other countries are going to join. You got this big southern, eastern global alliance that's being formed. It's going to have its own currency, going to have its own international payment system. The hell with the SWIFT, the U.S. dominated payment system. The hell with that, they're saying. We're going to have our own. We're going to have our own IMF-like bank that will bail out currencies when they're in trouble. We got our our own World Bank version called Belt and Road already. We have our trade with the Shanghai uh, Cooperative, you know, trade cooperation. Look, the U.S. empire is in deep doo-doo. U.S. global economic empire. And a lot of it has been these policies of Biden and the neocons going back couple decades, but now, especially under Biden, totally incompetent, totally. They can't even maintain their own empire anymore. That's how incompetent they are. And they're talking about going to war with China. I mean, that's they openly talk about that in Congress. Go to war with China. Think about the principles of war. I've been talking about, yeah, concentration of forces, right? Chinese got millions under arms, millions, right? Weaponry, technology, in some ways already advanced past the U.S. They have hypersonic missiles. The U.S. can't even make a hypersonic missile yet, right? China and Russia have just, uh, uh, China sent a probe, landed on the far side of the moon for the first time. Anybody's done that, and they got, China and Russia just signed a deal uh, to, um, uh, Create a base on the moon together. Where's the U.S. program to create a base on the moon? Wait. Well, I don't know. I heard the U.S. is going to sign a, a deal to go to the moon with Papago New Guinea. No, that's sarcasm, right? Okay. <laughs> but it just illustrates that, I mean, come on. The U.S. is behind the space race. It's behind in the missile race. It doesn't have the forces to fight anywhere, anywhere. And it's not, its economy is totally immobilized. We're throwing a lot of money at next generation weapons, you know, at Lockheed and Raytheon and those guys. But uh, going to go to war over Taiwan? I mean, come on. I mean, the Chinese, you know, they're only 100 so miles away. They could level Taiwan if they wanted yeah, and the U.S. is going to what? Send in the airborne troops? Send in the U.S. Navy? Which, by the way, can't get close to the Asian mainland anymore. It's, it's you know, it, it, it can't sail between the Straits of Taiwan anymore. Too close to missiles. 
It's got to stand off two, three hundred miles to protect itself. U.S. aircraft carrier task forces. Seaborne ships are sitting ducks. I mean, this is like a you know carnival uh, sitting duck uh, uh, shooting gallery. They're sitting ducks. The only real force that's powerful is the submarine. <clears throat> nuclear submarine, the Ohio-class submarines, you know, with, what, 92 nuclear warheads on them. Which, by the way, the, the Ohio submarine has also joined the Eisenhower Aircraft Carrier Task Force just outside the Straits of Hormuz. You know, U.S. doesn't typically announce where the submarines are. I mean, it, you kind of know it announces where the aircraft carriers are because you can see them, but it never says where the submarines are. And what do we got, 20, 30 submarines, nuclear submarines, maybe a dozen of those carrying 100 nuclear warheads perpetually, never have to surface even. I mean, that's the power, most powerful of the U.S. triad forces. So, they're sitting outside the Strait of Hormuz as well. Come on, Iranians, we dare you. Iranians aren't that stupid, you know. They're not going to do that. And we're wasting all that money trying to provoke Iran. Yeah, they're going to find try to find another way, especially if uh, Biden gets reelected, which I don't think he will. I think He's going to drop out. But, they, you know, the DNC, the money bags, the Democratic Party, aren't going to pull the plug on him till late spring. Let's see what his, uh, his polls do. And the polls are going down for him sharply. Every guy, time this guy uh, shows up on TV, I think the polls go down 1% or 2%. Uh, he's, he's way behind Trump in the swing states, already way behind Trump. They're not going to run this guy. They can't afford to. They're going to put select someone else. They don't want to do it too early because then if they did it like, you know, in January, February, if he announced, then they would have to hold primaries and they don't want to do that because if they do that, then a whole bunch are going to jump in and compete for the nomination and the money bags don't want a popular competition for the nomination what they, for president in 24, what they want to do is select them in backroom negotiations among the money bags, you see. Select him. And who are they going to select? Well, you got a bunch of guys jumping in there now. You got RFK Jr., who still wants to run a Democratic Party, even though he's been uh, snubbed and told, uh, no, you're not one of us. Uh, we're not going to let you debate. Oh, don't worry about an RFK because we're not going to have any debates, primaries anyway. But he still may sneak in on some of the primaries. Well, he's one of them. He's one jumped in. Uh, Gavin Newsom's in. I mean, why would he go and debate DeSantis? I mean, he's in. Why would he go to China and all those photo ops with Xi and so forth. Why would he go to Israel? You know, they all got to go to Israel. They all got to go and genuflect to uh, the Israelis here if they want campaign money in the U.S. 
and Joe Manchin's jumped in, I believe. Joe Manchin said he's not going to run for Senate. He's available, as he said. And when asked directly, you know, would that be you know, a candidate president? He says, you know, possibly. So he's in it. This guy Phillips, nobody from, I don't know where, it's from Vermont, New Hampshire, whatever. He's jumped in it. So they're already maneuvering. And then you got, you know, well-positioned Democratic brokers who are saying certain things about Biden should not run. David Axelrod. Axelrod is talking for Obama. Axelrod was, you know, Obama's, I forget, chief of staff or something. Yeah, he said, oh, you know, he's passed, he, Biden's passed his time, he should not run, you know. And then in recent days, you got uh, big finance capitalist money bags like Bill, what's his name, Bill Akers, I think it is, or something, you know, saying on public TV, you know, he should not run. I mean, here we are in late November, December, and these key figures in the party are already raising, you know, they do this slowly, raising the idea that Joe should ride off into the sunset. Yeah, they're already doing this. <laughs> the writing's on the wall. Come on. Joe Biden isn't going to be the candidate. No way. But I'll tell you, Trump's going to be the candidate. They can't stop him. I mean, think about this country. What a mess, right? When you got Biden and Trump as the candidates, you know, what do you want? You want to jump from the frying pan to the fire or the fire into the pan? What do you want? That's the choice we got. And both of them are doing everything they can to quash any challengers on the progressive left, you know? We're going to keep them off the ballots, whether Jill Stein of the Greens or Cornell West or who the hell knows, you know? We're going to keep them off the ballots. I'm not going to let them run. Okay, that's it for today. I'm out of here, and it's a great way to start the month of December. 